Well, before we begin our study together, would you join me in prayer? Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I want to continue with the theme from last week about justice and mercy and generosity as well. And I, I want to focus our attention on this theme, even as we're reading in the Torah portion this week about other things that may seem unrelated, but they're really connected. The Torah portion covers a lot of ground uh, this week, and it, it speaks about the, the cleanliness and the holiness that the priests are called to live by and to reflect in the way that they serve the Lord. And so there are certain people uh, in ancient Israel, the, the priests were, were some of those who were set apart for specific purposes. In fact, that's what holy means. It means set apart for a specific purpose. Not to be used just for anything, but to be used for something very significant. And one of the roles of the priests was to help bridge the gap between people who sin and fall short of the glory of the Lord and the Lord who is perfectly honorable. And when we fall short, we often feel like, ah, I'm guilty, and the reason is, we are. And we are aware that there is sin that separates us and our awareness of that guilt sometimes actually hinders us coming to the Lord rather than helps us because we feel ashamed, we feel insufficient, we feel inadequate, we feel even disappointed in ourselves. Maybe you've done something that uh, caused you to even loathe yourself or despise yourself or to be embarrassed about something you've done. But the role of the priest were, were, was specific. It was to represent a merciful God who showed justice with mercy to those who would humbly come before him with honesty. And that wonderful scripture that says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he's just. Let's say that. He's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He's both faithful and just. His mercy and his justice are united together. And, and when the priests were serving well, they understood that they needed mercy too. That they were not better than the other people but they were specifically dedicated to helping people connect with God after they've gotten disconnected from God. And it takes a willing heart to do that, and it also takes a commitment not to get hard-hearted or cynical towards people who fall short. So the priests were people who were set apart. They were called to be holy, not so that they could be you know, like spooky spiritual, but so that they could help everyone come close to the Lord. Also in this week's Torah portion, we see about 
time that's set aside. So you could call it holy days, holidays. Shabbat is mentioned, and then a string of holidays as well that describe how we're to order and organize our schedules, the rhythm of our life. We are built in a certain way. Yeshua said Shabbat was made for mankind. You know what that means? We're on a seven-day rhythm, whether you know it or not. And life was made for us, but we need rest, and if we don't take rest, you know what? We'll be out of sync, and we'll get exhausted, and we won't be able to replenish ourselves. Shabbat was made for us. We're not enslaved to Shabbat. Shabbat is given to us in order to make life a blessing for us. I compare it to oil in a car, in a car's engine. The car does not exist for the purpose of oil. Am I right? The oil exists for the car. And if you don't believe in oil, (laughs) you will have problems. If you don't want to pay for oil when you need it, you will have problems. If your oil gets low, and you just curse your car, why is this always happening to me? Your problems are gonna get bigger. You have to keep the oil going, right? You have to keep it full in the right way. You have to change your oil, change your filters and all that, why? Because that's what helps a car work well over the long run. In the same way, Shabbat helps us as people to live well. Without Shabbat, we're like car engines without oil. It's only a matter of time before we burn up. So there is time that's set aside for us. We're on a seven-day cycle, seven-day rhythm, if you will. But we also have other times in the year when we need to stop and we need to remember what God has done in times past so that we can better understand what's happening to us now. And the process of remembering actually equips us to go forward. If we forget God's goodness from the past, then we will not recognize God's goodness in the present, and we will not anticipate God's goodness in the future. So remembering is really important. Some people find it much easier to remember uh, unpleasant things the teacher from grade school who was cruel to you, Um, the person who pulled your hair when you were a child. But what we are, (laughs) see, it's easy. Yeah, as I was saying, it's like, oh, why am I remembering these things? But it's important to train our memory so that we recall the good things that God has done for us. And not just for us, but for others as well. Because when you learn to celebrate God's goodness to someone else, it equips you to live in a more blessed life. When the only blessing you want is the blessing for yourself, your blessings will diminish. But when you rejoice in the blessings other people are having, your blessings will increase as well. So there's this big focus on people and time being set apart, 
And then plopped right in the middle is a verse that could seem out of place. It has to do, apparently, with agriculture, but it's actually about much more than that. It does have to do with economics, but it's much more than that. And it has to do with justice and mercy. But it also is a thought-provoking idea about religious folk. Because religious people like to learn how to do things right so we can be successfully religious. No one wants to be a religious failure. You know, what's the point? So we like to know the rules. We like to get things right. We like to do things that, that keep us in the right place. And, but there's a problem, and that is we can get our outward behavior okay and still have deep inward problems. So in the middle of this passage in Leviticus 23, where it's talking about the holidays, and, and I've seen so many people who, who love Shabbat, but then they step too far in that direction and they start worshiping Shabbat and judging other people by Shabbat. What is the greatest commandment? Keep Shabbat. No. According to who? According to Yeshua, it's not the greatest commandment. It's the fourth. Yeah, but it's not the greatest, right? So it's not 297. But what is the greatest commandment? That's right. There you go. And what's the second greatest commandment? And these two are like each other and they build together a real life. If you get these right, if you see them as number one and number two and related, Yeshua says then, then because all of Torah and the prophets hang on these two, then you'll, you'll be blessed. In other words, if you get these right then you'll be able to read the scriptures and draw life from them and you'll be able to live with God in uh, a growing and maturing way. If you put something else up in front of these, you'll miss everything, even though you might be very popular and very religious. Popular with your religious folk. So as we're about to read Leviticus 23, verse 22, Chapter 23, verse 22. Think about this, that celebration of the Lord and, and holy times are not only about religious rituals and observances, they're about more than that too. So in Leviticus 23, verse 22, it says, when you harvest the ripe crops produced in your land. Now this is right in the middle of how do you celebrate the holidays? When you harvest the ripe crops produced in your land, don't harvest all the way to the corners of your field. And don't gather the ears of grain left by the harvesters. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Why do this? Because I told you. That's the Lord's saying. Because I told you. Now sometimes when we read passages like this, we say, well... This really is not relevant to me because I am not a farmer. 
And not only that, I don't have any fields. I don't harvest anything. And I'm not even sure what ears of grain are. So it's very easy to read something like this and just push the content away as if it's irrelevant. But that's not the right way to read the scriptures. The right way is to get to the heart of what they're saying. How did, how did this impact the people who heard this in those generations? What did it mean to them? What was required of them? What was a good understanding of this? And with that in mind, how can we be impacted in the same way? Now, for me, I read this and I think that one of the distinctive qualities of those who worship the Lord is that they care for the poor and they care for the immigrant. That's a distinctive quality. Now, that doesn't fit into some people's political agendas, and I would just say, change your political agenda. Fix it. You maybe left something out. You didn't realize that uh, this is a prophetic mandate from Almighty God. And you might say, well, this is boring to me. You might be like, I was at the upholstery shop. But don't leave yourself in that condition. Try to become interested. Now, I've learned it's possible to become interested in things you could never have imagined. I've always loved my computers. There was a time when I was younger, I suffered from computer lust. Do you know what that is? Some of the guys do. It, it's when you could walk into a store, it's like, oh, I got I got to go to the electronics department. I got to look. There's no sin in looking. Well, sometimes there is. <laughs> or if you had magazines, it's like, oh. You know, I opened up the magazine and there was this gorgeous new phone. Computer lust. It's something you can grow out of. But we can be drawn to what is easy to be drawn to and not, never develop what requires effort to learn how to appreciate something that's good. Now, I'm in the process, and this is hard for me, I'm in the process of learning to appreciate the fine skills of laundry. <laughs> Seriously, it's very hard for me because I like to say, my people come from Slobovia. <laughs> it's natural for me in my, <laughs> I have this, this uh, funny theory that I tell my grandkids mainly, but I'll share it with you. I said there are only two real countries in the world. One is Slobovia and the other one is Nietzsylvania. <laughs> and everybody comes from one of them. And you may have residence in one of those and not really be a citizen with full natural rights. I said, I could be in Nitsylvania for a while, but my Slobovian quality comes right out. <laughs> so my grandkids understand this, and one of them was 
sitting at the table with a bowl of chocolate Trinity ice cream, Publix ice cream. It, it's, it is really good. If you don't believe in the Trinity, um, <laughs> you will be reformed by, by this. He takes his spoon, one spoonful, and then he looks down and it's like his shirt has chocolate all over. There's a chocolate, not only mustache, beard, there's chocolate, you know, on his upper cheek. And his answer is, I don't know how that happens. But it happens all the time. And we laugh, it's, you're from Slobovia. He said, that's it. That's the reason. So as a Slobovian, it's very hard for me to pay attention about laundering. But in my older age, I'm beginning to appreciate certain things about laundry that I never did before. That's right. And, and I was doing a load of uh, load in the washing machine because we've been having some intermittent problems with it. And then it was time to move it into the dryer. And I said to my wife, do you want me just to transfer the load into the dryer? She said, no, there's specific things you need to do. And I thought, you know, you reach in. You take from one machine, you put it in the other. She said, no, no, no. Now you need to separate these things because there's some sheets and some T-shirts and some socks and pillowcases and towels. It's like, I have to separate them now? And she said, yeah. So she explained to me how to do it, and I did it. And as the dryer went off, the beeper went off. I said, do you want me to unload the dryer now? And she said, no, because you won't do it right. And I thought, what? Well, I thought you just reached in. And she said, no, you've got to handle these things right so that they end up in the best condition when you fold them or put them on the beds or hang them. And who said how true? So true. Okay, so... Even though this killed me, I paid attention this time. And I observed the results that she got by doing it this way. And do you know what? I learned something. So when it was all said and done, I went to her and I gave her a big kiss and a hug and I said, I really admire your attention to these details. It really does make a difference. After 41 plus years, she was gracious and smiled. It's like, okay, finally. <laughs> but I'm telling you this because if after that many years, I can begin to appreciate something I didn't appreciate, guys, you can too. Gals, you can too. All of us can learn to appreciate things we didn't appreciate. Do you agree? Now, with that in mind, let's go to Luke chapter 11 because Yeshua is speaking directly to this mindset. We know how to do everything. We know how to do what's right. 
And what we already know how to do is what's important. And Yeshua's challenging that. And he's challenging it even among the most learned among the Jewish people. So I won't set the context for you, but it'd be worthwhile to read the whole chapter. But Yeshua says this, and some of these words are very familiar, so familiar you may not know how they fit into the story. Luke chapter 11, verse 33, no one who has kindled a lamp hides it or places it under a bowl. Rather, he puts it on a stand so that those coming in may see its light. That's very familiar to us. Then verse 34, the lamp of your body is your eye. When you have a good eye, your whole body is full of light. Now, unless you know what a good eye means, this may not be clear, but good eye is an idiom that means being generous. The person who has a good eye is a generous person. When you have a good eye, that is when you're generous, your whole body is full of light. Isn't that an interesting idea? When you're generous, you're filled with light. But... When you have an evil eye, an evil eye doesn't mean stink eye. You know, it, you know what I mean. Um, evil eye means being stingy. When you're stingy, your body is full of darkness. Very interesting, isn't it? Stern amplifies this and gets that to the point, but others have as well. Then verse 35. So... Take care that the light in you is not darkness. See how interesting, how can light be darkness? No, it's like a a way of saying this. What's inside you? Do you get that? What's inside you needs to be light. But what does that mean? It means it needs to come from your generosity. Otherwise, it'll come from your stinginess. If then, verse 36, your whole body is filled with light, with no part dark, it will be completely lighted as when a brightly lit lamp shines on you. Which takes us back to that earlier idea. No one covers up a lamp that's lighted. They use it to shine. And he's trying to say, so use your generosity to produce light. Verse 37. As Yeshua spoke this, a Pharisee asked him to eat dinner with him. So this is interesting, isn't it? You might think that only certain kinds of people found Yeshua interesting, but actually all kinds of people did. And so he went in and he took his place at the table, and the Pharisee was surprised that Yeshua did not begin by doing netilat yadaim, the washing of hands, according to certain procedures before the meal. Because according to the Pharisees, there was a specific way you wash your hands. And if you don't do that, it's as if you hadn't washed it all. It's as if you are unclean and not ready to eat. And Yeshua, this is where Yeshua is really interesting. Is he a good guest or not a good guest? You decide. Is he polite or impolite? You decide. 
but he's being Messiah here. That's for sure. He's being authoritative here. So he's doing something that actually is going to provoke thought and reveal heart, but it's not necessarily well-mannered, but not because he's rude or unaware of how to be well-mannered. It's because he's teaching a Pharisee something. He's trying to reach in to a heart that needs to be reached. So the Lord says to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the dish. But inside, there's a lot of greed and wickedness. Now, be careful here before we go on. It's so easy to think of the Pharisees as the others, because you can say, well, thank God I'm not a Pharisee. Actually, we should read this as if it's about us, not about them. So you messianics, you clean the outside of the cup. You believers, you evangelicals, you fundamentalists, you fill in the blank, whatever you are. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside, full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what's inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Isn't that interesting? This is like Yeshua's commentary on the Torah portion ideas. He's not speaking directly to the Torah portion, but to the idea that you can learn to do the right outward religious things. You can. The things that the scriptures even say to do. And not do the even more important things that are less visible and outward. Now, as for what's inside you, be generous to the poor. Who? How about that? Be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. But I'm not interested in the poor. God's called me to the rich. Have you ever heard that? Woe to you. And then you fill in the blank. Woe to you because you give God a tenth of your mint your rue and all kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You neglect tzedakah, justice, charity, righteousness, and you neglect the love of God. You see, your, your religious ritual does not consummate what God is focusing on here. No matter how perfect you may be in doing that, it's unacceptable in God's eyes if that's where you leave it as an external thing. And if you over-concentrate on the external and neglect the internal, 
then these words are really profoundly for us because Yeshua is saying, don't you know that the Lord who made the outside made the inside too? Take care of it. You do this, but you neglect that. And the fact is, every group, every person, every society, every nation is better at some things than others. We do some things well, but we neglect others. But the Spirit of God wants us to know we're neglecting some things. Don't neglect them. They're important. So in the middle of describing to Israel what it means to be a society that has priests who are holy so that it can become a nation of priests and a holy nation. You get this, what seems like an out-of-place idea. Yeah, and when you're harvesting, don't cut the corners. Leave the corners for the poor and for the immigrant. And then you realize, oh, wow, Moses and Yeshua, they're like solidly together on this. One of the translations puts it this way. You do give the Lord your tithe, but you have an obligation to also give justice and love of God. You have an obligation. You have an obligation to do these things. You have an obligation as well to give your tithe. You have an obligation to... um, to serve like that, but without disregarding the others. Isn't that interesting? So we can do what comes easy to us that we're fulfilling, and then we can say, okay, that's enough. But the Lord is constantly saying, no, that's not enough. I want you to have everything, so I want you to be holy in every aspect that I'm concerned about. Yeah, but I'm not interested in that. It's like the washing machine. It's like upholstery to me. And the Lord's answer is, get interested. How do you get interested? One of the ways is you hang out with people who are interested. That's that's a principle in life. If you hang out with people who have less motivation than you do, guess what? Your motivation will go down. You hang out with people who are more motivated than you are, it'll be uncomfortable, but your motivation will increase. You hang out with people who are sloppy thinkers, you'll become a sloppy thinker. You hang out with people who are sharp and they put a lot of effort and consideration into their thought processes, you'll get sharper too. There's an obligation, which is an interesting idea about generosity, isn't it? That we're obligated to be generous. We're obligated to be caring about the poor, the needy, the immigrant. You might say, well, I don't like immigrants. Well, that's your problem. You're called to love immigrants. But, but, but. Get off your butt. Outside behavior can become the wrong emphasis if it's neglectful of the inward condition. So Yeshua says, deal with what's going on inside of you, in your heart and your mind. How do you do it? Good eye, a good eye. What does that mean? Be generous, not stingy. 
be generous to the poor and that'll clean up a lot of things for you. Isn't that an interesting remedy that Yeshua is offering? But I want to be more religious. Yeshua says, it's not going to fix it. Don't neglect justice. Don't neglect the love of God. Pay attention to all of this. These are the words that Yeshua gave to someone who was a really serious follower of God, a Pharisee. And he spoke to him, this part you get right, but it's to the neglect of this part. Keep doing the part you get right and stop neglecting the part you've been neglecting. And we could all say, yeah, but I'm not neglecting anything. And then you would be like me when the Lord spoke to me and said, I'm not telling you anything more because I've already told you 27 things you haven't done. Pay attention to what you're not paying attention to. It'll go well with you. Open your hearts up to what God's heart has opened up to, and you know what? You'll grow. It'll, you'll be more dynamic. You'll have more power. You'll have more influence. You'll have more provision. You'll have more blessing. You'll be more useful to God. But you'll also have a more enjoyable life. You'll find reason that life is good and not bad. You'll be rescued from bad decisions. There'll be snares that have been set for you, but you'll be delivered out of those snares. There'll be paths you thought you should go on, but the Lord knew better, and he'll direct your paths. There'll be doors that seem to be open to you, but they're really seductions, but you won't get trapped in them. Why? Because you opened your heart to the Lord. It's powerful. So as you're reading the Torah portion this weekend, and as you read the words of Yeshua, good commentary on the Torah portion about the right heart and how do we develop this fullness of heart, I want to encourage you, take it to heart. Take it deeply into your mind. Think about it carefully. And then say to the Lord, so what do you want to touch in my life? from all this, and how do you want to use me? And when you do that, you know what? You'll be one of those people who stands in the gap and says to the Lord, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. And God uses such people. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you give us amazing lives to live. You give us a hope and a future. You have plans to use us, and Lord, you want to use us to be a blessing to other people. You said to Abraham, be thou a blessing, and I will bless you. And we want to be a blessing to other people. We want to serve other people as you lead us and direct us, and for that reason, we're asking that you would open up our hearts to the things we've neglected Open up our minds to the things that we've neglected and do it by opening up our eyes that we would be generous and have good eyes and not be stingy and have evil eyes. We ask this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Let's close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? If you're alone and you don't mind, just move and then you won't be alone. <laughs> Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ye'er Adonai p'navelecha v'yichunecha yisa Adonai p'navelecha.
The Lord bless you and keep watch over you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.